You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everyone, it's Erin Carey, and I am so excited to welcome Trish Wilkinson back to the show. This is part two. We're going to dig a little deeper this time. She is a parent coach, mom of two, veteran teacher, and co-author of Brain Stages, How to Raise Smart, Confident Kids and Have Fun Doing It. Her website is brainstages.com and thebrainstages.com. The, the I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, and she is wonderful. And I had to have her on again because the first episode about how to boost your kids' brain power in school, I got so many comments and so many listener um, shout outs on Instagram and in their stories and just messages about how helpful that episode was. We are just going to dive deeper. And I really want to talk about this topic of ADHD. And you mentioned something, Trish. Well, first of all, Trish, welcome back to the show. We'll say that. I'm really excited to be here because anytime I can share with people what's going on in all of our brains, really, but in kids' brains in particular, because people are so upset and anxious with this school year. And there's, you know, there are things that we can do to boost their brain power and supercharge learning to where they're going to be fine. Because if they're older, but they miss that school, it means that their brains are ready to learn what they were meant to learn earlier. So they're going to learn it faster. I mean, that's just how our brains work. So I just am really excited about allaying some fears that parents have about their kids' education. Yes, I'm excited too. And I appreciate your approach. And uh, for listeners, we've already been talking for a good five to 10 minutes before I pressed record. And so that's why I'm just kind of ready to jump in and start going because she has already offered so many ideas and tools just in our brief conversation. So let's talk about ADHD and, you know, this epidemic of ADHD that we may seem to be experiencing uh, with our, with kids being labeled, it seems more than ever. We talked about anxiety last time, but ADHD is a big one. What does it mean for a child to get a diagnosis of ADHD? The first thing I want to clarify here is that term attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is very upsetting to me because I raised two children with focusing issues. I have focusing issues because apples come from apple trees. (laughs) You know, a lot of more than 70% of kids who are diagnosed with ADHD have parents who also have attention issues and usually grandparents. And, you know, it's something that's, that can be handed down in genetic. It can be caused um, from trauma and other things as well, but generally speaking, a lot of times it runs in families. So what I want to clarify is that first of all, we're over-diagnosing attention deficit active, um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And the second thing I wanna mention is that we are not deficient, nor are we disordered. Our brains work differently than the mainstream. And when you can work with kids with how their brains work, instead of trying to you know, jam those square pegs into a round hole or whatever shapes you wanna use, The bottom line is what's happening is we're trying to force kids whose brains work differently to work in a certain way. And when we can, and they're even fine in a classroom 
if we just deal with them slightly differently. Does that make sense? So their brains work differently and it's not a bad thing. In fact, a lot of creative people have these attention issues. A lot of visionaries have quote unquote attention issues because they're outside the mainstream. And the other thing that's really amazing with kids who have these issues is they have this thing, we, I should say we, <laughs> we have this thing called hyperfocus where we can just, once you get the beam, that, that attention of a person who has attention issues, once you lock on to whatever it is through their interests or skills or strengths, they can focus actually longer than the average person. So, so once you learn how to work with the child who has attention deficit issues, whether you're a parent or a teacher or whoever, I mean, it's actually really fun. So, so I just wanted to mention that. And are we over-diagnosing it? Yes, we are. And I have to tell you, it's so frustrating to me that we are still doing this antiquated fill out a form. And if you fill out a form and it has these different numbers and levels, then that means that we should put your child on psychotropic medication. <laughs> I mean, this, this medication is hardcore. So what actually shows in an ADHD brain map, which we have had the, the software for at least a decade, probably two decades that I know of, um, to be able to see what's going on inside of kids' heads and see if medication would, would even be appropriate for them. So Luckily, I found out about neurofeedback. You can get a brain map done in any neurofeedback place. The frustration is that the, um, that the insurance companies still generally will not cover ADHD outside of medication. So they usually will not cover neurofeedback. I will say though, if you have an HSA account, um, you know, where you put money into it for medical expenses, the HSA will cover it. So you can use before tax dollars, which means you can save, you know, up to 30% or depending on where you, you live, you can spend before tax dollars on, um, on getting a neurofeedback brain map. But once they get a neurofeedback brain map, what happens is they put electrodes on the kids, which are non-invasive. And they actually take a map of what the kids' brains are doing. It's like an EEG that's all color-coded. So you can tell what's going on in the different areas of the brain because we have a whole bunch of areas in our brain. And usually what happens with ADHD is those certain areas are moving too slowly, interestingly enough, even though they're hyperactive. The brain areas are moving too slowly. So they give them things like Ritalin or, you know, concert out whatever the drugs are that they prescribe for them to actually speed up their brains to get them in sync, um, which sounds great if that's actually the case in a kid's brain. But a lot of times they have symptoms that don't go along at all with, the, with what ADHD actually looks like in the brain. And But we're trying all these different medications to see what will help and the sad thing is, is that these kids more often than not, if people know how to deal with them, how to communicate with kids who have these issues, 
how to use their strengths who have these issues, then they can actually help kids train their own brains and, and grow emotionally and socially because kids who have these issues are usually a couple of years behind socially and emotionally because their brains are taking a little bit longer to mature. So there are all, all these other factors that are going on. And if we can find out, because just putting kids on medication, there was a study done, um, I think it was last year, where they found that mostly boys are the ones who end up on ADHD medication. Even though girls have it as well, girls and boys, their, their attention issues usually um, present differently. Yeah. So where as a girl will be wiggly in her chair and you know moving her knee or, or fiddling with something on her desk or whatever she's doing, she's generally, not always, but she's generally a little quieter about it. Boys, when they have ADHD, are out there. <laughs> and so they're the ones who end up medicated the most. And the study showed that the boys' brain mass compared with kids who had AD, boys who had ADHD who weren't medicated and boys who had ADHD who were medicated, their brain mass was smaller after doing medication for, I don't know, several years, like five wow. years or something. So, Wait, so their brain got smaller after? It wasn't that it got smaller. It just didn't grow as large oh. as the kids who were not on medication. Wow. So, and, and that's a big deal. And we don't know what the ramifications are for that yet. So, I mean, that's a big deal to, to yeah. know about that. So, and it was a reputable study that I read from a journal. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, you know, it's just this article claiming whatever it was, it was a journal yeah. so like neur neuron or something. So my point is, is that it's not that medication is always terrible. So if you're listening to this and your child is doing well on medication, it could be that one of that your child is one of the kids who actually does well on medication. But if you feel in your heart, if your spidey sense is saying, you know, this medication is not working well for my child, there may be a really good reason for that. And you being the parent or the caregiver or whoever you are in this child's life, listen to that sense that this child is not doing well on medication and find other ways to deal with your child who has attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which I would just say just has a brain that works differently. I mean, yeah. it's not actually a bad thing. No, it's not. And it can be useful. And that, <laughs> that special brain power can be fueled in many wonderful ways. It, like you said, many creatives and goal oriented people work with these kinds of brains very well. But I, you know, I also read, you know, mentioning the studies, I also read somewhere that after a certain amount of time on, on these medications, it can actually, um, and I don't know exactly the mechanism, but something to do with the dopamine receptors to where it is really difficult for these children to experience true pleasure <laughs> from activities or substances or anything, almost like it, it dulls the, the pleasure receptors. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I've actually read that. There have been a couple of studies that have come out about that, but yeah, that's, that's true too. And it's true with any kind of anxiety medication, a lot of those medications after a while, because they're regular artificially regulating the levels of those, you know, of the receptors and the different levels of hormones, because there's also serotonin, there's, a, you know, a lot of serotonin receptors that, that you know, a lot of um, drugs 
mess with our serotonin. And the problem with all of those drugs is that eventually it dulls other senses and it causes other problems. Also, a lot of times when kids present with anxiety or um, attention issues or whatever, they've experienced some kind of trauma and whatever that trauma is, is also affecting them as well. And sometimes as adults, you know, we don't, we weren't even there when they, when they experienced that trauma, whatever it was. And we all being human, we all, you know, experience different things and interpret different things differently. So, you know, we don't even know necessarily what it, where it came from. And the point is, is that it's not always good to medicate those things because if kids can figure out where those things came from. And like, I have little games that I play with kids that like one of them is called add a move that also works working memory. I think we may have talked about add a move last time. So one of the things that does is it not only works working memory, but it also, you know, do a move, then do the next move, then another person does another move and you keep going until somebody misses. And if you're in a whole classroom of kids, then you just keep going even if people miss and you go for at least 90 seconds. And the reason for that is because if kids are anxious or they have some other reason for their ADHD, you know, for their attention issues, then it 90 seconds works through the anxiety, works through the cortisol. So they can go from the, from the emotion centers of the brain into the thinking areas of the brain so they can actually think. Unless we get them out of those emotion centers, which is better to do without drugs because then we're actually training them how to use their brains the way their brains work instead of the way we think they should work. Yeah. <laughs> because just because a kid's brain works differently doesn't mean that there's something wrong with it. That is such a powerful statement right there. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And before we get any farther, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode. This episode is sponsored by Indeed. Now, as I'm discussing with Trish, working on our own self-improvement, helping our kids, this can be tough and this can take a lot of work. But putting in the work to hire the next great candidate for your business, that's easier than you think, especially with Indeed. With Indeed, you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process, so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. One of the things that I love about Indeed that makes hiring all in one place so easy is the assessments. The assessments make the interview process smoother for everyone because talent doesn't need to prove themselves again, and you can dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. Time is precious and valuable, and the perfect job candidate is looking for you. But until you use Indeed, you're not doing everything you can to look for them. Finding great talent doesn't have to be a second job. You can hire faster and better than ever with Indeed. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com spark. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com spark. Indeed.com spark. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Now, Trish, I want to get back to what we were talking about because I think it's so important that we recognize that just because a kid's brain works differently, it does not mean that there's something wrong with them. And you were talking about various games that you teach parents to use with kids to improve their attention issues, their anxiety. Let's let's get back into that. So, so if we can give them little ways of, you know, 90 seconds of playing this game, if you're with a group of kids, like I have parents who call that game the um, distraction game because of an anxious kids and they'll say to their kids, okay, let's play the distraction game. <laughs> but it's not just that it's distracting them. It's that it's literally shifting their mind, their brain and working through that cortisol, which takes about 90 seconds to work through, which means you don't need to play the game more than like a minute and a half to two minutes for it to do its magic. Does that make sense? And yeah. ADHD kids, when they when kids who have attention issues, a lot of times they're just hyper aroused. So if they're hyper aroused for whatever reason, whether it's genetic or, you know, trauma related or whatever, if they're hyper aroused and we can calm them down for that 90 seconds to two minutes, you know, that's a classic way to slow kids down to speed up. Yeah. Because if we don't take that two minutes, they may not be able to get back into their brains. You know, they may not be able to get back into their thinking processes because they're stuck in the emotion centers of their brains. Yeah. Yeah. That is absolutely fascinating. I love talking about this. So I'd like to know, you know, you hear about differences between boy brains and girl brains. I'd love to know how that plays into, like you already said, girls who have ADHD, it manifests a little bit differently. So what's going on with the male brain and female brain with ADHD? Well, first I'm going to tell you what it's going, what is going on. So male and female with ADHD is a lot of environmental what's acceptable for girls versus what's acceptable mm. for boys. And we keep trying to level that <laughs> playing field a little more, but the bottom line is girls and boys are different. I mean, we, we're different. We think differently. We have different levels of hormones in our brains and our brains even function slightly differently as we're, as we're finding. Not that one is more, in, more intelligent or one is, I mean, you know, we're wings of a bird, right? <laughs> With we, we need equality in those wings of the bird for our society to fly. We need both kinds of brains. And so the fact that we're not exactly the same in our brains and how they function, actually our brains are very similar, but how they function is slightly different. That's actually a good thing because we need that balance. So, but the, but the other thing is, is boys and girls in fourth grade, whether they have attention issues or not, their brains separate as far as their development. So girls in fourth grade, about the mid fourth grade or so, but it depends on where their birthdays are. So somewhere in fourth grade, <laughs> there the prefrontal cortex for girls starts developing faster than it does for boys. And then as girl, and remember with kids who have attention issues, usually their brains are maturing a little bit slower. So it means that they're going to be a couple of years behind anyway, two to three years behind their counterparts. So one of the things in my classroom that I used to do is I used to think, you know, a kid would act really immature, would do something that was really annoying. And then I'd rem remind myself if I'm working with eight-year-olds, okay, right now this child's brain socially is somewhere in kindergarten. 
or someone at, somewhere in first grade, usually two to three years, easy. So I had to remind myself, okay, that's where they are. They're not doing this to be a problem. They're doing this because that's how their brains work right now. And it's really helpful for parents to realize and for teachers to realize that they're just not in the same place. So boys and girls brains separate. And on top of that, boys and girls brains separate in fourth grade anyway with their prefrontal cortex. And that happens. We're not sure. I, I haven't seen the studies of that happening later with kids who have ADHD. But the bottom line is there's going to be a separation at some point in how fast their prefrontal cortex is developing. Then it catches up again in middle school, but girls have already been ahead for a few years. So then boys' brains catch up and now they have to catch up socially, emotionally, and all of that stuff. And they're already behind a little bit. So even though their brains have caught up as far as where their development is, they don't have the same skill set once their development catches up. Yeah, I love the way that you explain that. And in the fourth grade connection or separation of the prefrontal cortex, I think that's super, and I've never heard that before about fourth grade and the brain developing at, at that particular stage. And it makes sense just even from a teaching perspective, you know, we start to see so many differences in just the way kids are maybe thinking a little bit more abstract, right? And so just being aware and cognizant that, not all kids are going to be on the same, you know, I think sometimes we do try to box kids in, right. And think that they're all going to develop the same way because this is what's supposed to happen at this stage, but different things are happening at different stages and for different kids, depending on the way their brain works as well. Right. They're, they're eight and where their birthday is. I mean, you can have kids depending on the state. Like I was just talking to someone yesterday in New York and they still have the late, like December 1st or whatever date. And a lot of states have changed that, but some of them haven't because it's, you know, the wheels of change turn slowly because there are all kinds of ramifications, all kinds of things that happen. You know, there's a domino effect when you make a change like that. Um, so, so that makes it differently, but it's difficult. But at the same time, when we start, when we have some kids who, you know, November 30th birthdays, and then we have other kids who are December 1st birthdays, and you know various areas, we have kids going to school that are a year apart, <laughs> right? And their maturity is a year apart. It makes a huge difference, for example, in sports. The kids who usually do the best in sports are usually the ones who are older. There was a, um, I think it was, was it Gladwell who did, um, uh, all of a sudden, my my brain has gone blank. But the but but the bottom line is, he did a lot of research into figuring out that kids who were doing the best in sports have the earliest birthdays. <laughs> well, they're the oldest, so their bodies are the most developed, and and they start out with a little more skill in the beginning. So everybody treats them like they have more skill in the beginning. So and it's the same way with an ADHD brain. You know, they start out a little bit slower a lot of times as far as, you know, intellectually and their learning and whatever. But if we do the things that we talked about before, like 10 minutes of exercise in the morning and a big drink of water before they go off to school, then we already set them up ahead of where they would be otherwise, right? So we've already gotten their brains ready to be able to focus and learn. If we've already done a couple of 
you know, games of add a move or anything where they're where they're doing things to work on their working memory. Those things are also really helpful for them. Oh, you know, another thing that's great for kids when they're in the classroom and they and people are having a hard time with them and they're having a hard time focusing. One of the things I used to do with kids in the classroom is I would give them one earplug. And people would be like, one earplug? What? I mean, they can still hear. And we want them to hear. We want them to hear what's going on in the lesson and going on. But putting that one earplug in, it's kind of this security thing that happens and that little shh that happens in their ear that's just kind of calming and helps them focus. Because the idea for a child who has attention issues is to give them tools so that they can focus in mainstream society, but that they don't give up their talent for things like you know, hyper-focus and they don't give up their talent for imagination and thinking outside the box because kids who have ADHD tend to have amazing imaginations and they can really think outside the box. So we don't want to stunt any of those things, which, you know, the drugs are not great for. So if we can teach them how to manage their own behavior and how to manage their thinking, on their own and give them tools, teaching them how to do deep breathing. Okay, you're already having a hard time focusing, just stop and breathe. That's another thing for them to do. And they're doing that more and more in schools because we're finding that that doesn't just work for kids with attention issues, that's great for everybody, including the teachers and the parents, right? <laughs> including all of us, including you, including me. When we, and there are scientists in and breathe out, we're, we're touching on the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, which are, are, you know, our brains are so much more active subconsciously than they are consciously. So if we just stop and give our brains a little extra oxygen and, you know, inhale, exhale, reset the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, then we can calm all kinds of other things and open ourselves up for thinking. So sometimes in my classroom, I would just stop everything and say, okay, it's time for a couple of deep breaths. And I was doing that before I was even doing yoga or I knew anything. I just knew it worked. Now I know I've done, <laughs> you know, a studying of all the research and stuff. But um, I just knew at the time that it worked, that if my kids started getting spacey, a lot of times I'd say, okay, stand up behind your chair. We're going to play a quick game of head and shoulders, knees and toes. And I did you know, several rounds. So we were doing it for at least two minutes and we would go, we would do it normal speed. Then we do it really fast. Then we do it in slow motion. Then we do it in normal speed again. And just the, that short amount of head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. And I do it in Spanish and English because I worked with a lot of kids who spoke Spanish and they love that. And the kids who spoke Engl English loved learning a little bit of Spanish. So that was fun for them. And just being able to do that quick exercise literally reboots your brain. So deep breathing and doing a little bit of exercise helps not only kids who have attention issues, but it turns out it helps all kids be able to think. Yeah. And it helps adults too. I love all of these things that you share. I can't help but think every time you're, I'm like, yep, that could work for adults. Yes. That could work for adults. Like all of these things 
that work for kids also work for us. I was in a yoga class recently and I was so excited. I learned a new breathing technique that is supposed to help, um, kind of give an energy boost, make you more joyful. And it's like a threefold where you, I'll just go ahead and do it for anybody who's listening. This is going to sound weird to you, but it's a like that. So you basically breathe in real fast and then do an audible ha. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I I just got excited because I thought, wow, I could use this with my kids as a let's do this and add some hand movement, maybe some jumping with it. We do that in the morning before going to school or even in the car, you know, because I think what you're saying is so important that we have so many tools available with our breath, with movement in our bodies, and we don't utilize them. And then we expect these kids to just sit down at school and and schools for the record, schools are doing so much better about this than they used to in the past because we know these things, but not all kids can just sit for eight hours without, like you said, taking a deep breath, doing head, shoulders, knees, and toes, any of these things. And honestly, I don't think adults can either. I can't. No. In fact, that was one of the things in my classroom teaching all those years, you know, it was funny. I'm so next week I'm doing, a. um, and five-day event with schools. That's just a short webinar in the morning, 10 to 15 minutes. It's actually an hour total. So it's 15 minutes at the beginning on Monday, 15 minutes at the end, and 10 minutes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And each day I tell them something about the brain and give them an action step. And of course, I'm starting about the first day with drinking water and 10 minutes of exercise right behind their desks. (laughs) Because if we just get, because we're asking kids to learn and teachers to teach like we're they're riding a bike on flat tires. So if teachers do this ed- exercise with kids in the morning and get a big gr- drink of water, they're gonna feel better when they're teaching. Everybody feels better, gets along better, listens better, learns better, participates more. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And it's just this little thing, but it's because of how our brains work. You know, it used to be everybody walked to school So everybody walking to school, they got their morning exercise before they started off in school. Now, pretty much most people drive to school. Our society has changed. I mean, that's why I started coaching parents. My my daughter said, mom, you have to help other parents because, you know, we have our own issues or whatever, but I feel like we have these tools that you gave us and my friends just don't have them. And so, and what an endorsement to get from your own child, especially when, you know, she has attention issues. I have attention issues. She's the reason I started studying all this stuff because we had so so many difficulties at the beginning and it was a pretty tumultuous household before I learned all the things that I learned that I'm sharing now. But the bottom line is there are certain physical things that we can do that don't require you to be you know, any better teacher or better parent or better anything. They're just physical things that make our brains work. And and that used to be part of what was part of our physical society and culture and how our societies worked, right? How people interacted with each other and the things we did. And all of that is a result of all the mechanization and all of those things have changed. So, how exciting that now we're learning, oh, all we have to do is these things and we can boost, you know, we can boost brain power. We can, you know, a lot of kids are going to school right now depressed 
oh, we do a lot of these things, we can boost brain power. And like you say, it's good for adults. It's good for, you know, mainstream kids, but it also, a lot of these things are critical for kids who have attention issues. I mean, absolutely critical. If we can get them, um, if we can get them just a little bit of exercise and some deep breathing and some working memory and definitely water, you know, they, they just function a lot better. And that one earplug and have them. Another that. thing I used to do is put a, a colored dot on their pencils. And a lot of people are using electronic devices now. So you could put a colored dot on their device. And what will happen is when they start recognizing that they're floating away, they will look at, you know, and they just happen to look at that dot. It helped it. They're just like, oh, I got to come back. <laughs> because what we're trying to do is give them tools so that they know when, so that they start to recognize when they're drifting off. And so that they have a concrete visual tool that can bring them back so that they can physically re-engage their brain. And this is so empowering for them to, you know, just to have these conversations and say, Hey, we're going to make your brain stronger. We are going to, you know, I mean, it, I think it's, we and I want to say this in, in the right way. I do think as parents, we put a lot of our parent, our, our children's education and decisions that are made for our children in the hands of other people that no, don't know our kids like we do. And I think that there are good reasons for that in many circumstances, but I think sometimes we give away too much of that power and too much of that inter that intuition. And for kids, we don't really allow for them to get in touch with their own intuition about how their brains think and work. And this is a way for them to tap into that and go, yeah, my brain does work differently. So what can I do to support my brain? And some kids originally, when you tell them their brains think differently, they think that means there's something wrong with them. Right. And I want to make it really clear that there it's, it's not that there's something wrong with them. It's that their brains think differently and let's celebrate that. Let's figure out another thing I love to do with, with kids who have attention issues, because by the time they're in, like, so one of the parents I coach, they have two children who have attention issues, because like I said, apples come from apple trees, right? <laughs> um, so they have two children who have attention issues. And I sat down with one of her children and that was having particular trouble in school and his confidence was in the tank and he was just having a really rough time. And I said, you know, the first thing I want to tell you is there is nothing wrong with your brain. Your brain thinks differently. And that's something to celebrate. What we need to do is figure out the things that you enjoy, that spark your interest and ways that you like to learn. So one of the things we do, he has a really hard time with memorizing um, multiplication tables because memorization for kids who have ADHD are often difficult. Um, so what I have, he loves soccer. So I say, when you are memorizing your, um, when your parents are going through your flashcards with you, or you're going through them with a friend, or, you know, maybe you record them for yourself and you're going through and, you know, four times three is, and you, and you leave a blank, kick around a soccer ball while you're doing it, because there's that movement and learning connection. And that helps a lot of kids who have attention issues, especially if their bodies are moving, if they can learn those facts while they're moving, multitasking is not great for most people. 
But for kids who are um, who already have that kind of nervous energy going anyway, if we're using that nervous energy in a positive way where they're comfortable while they're learning, that's why a lot of kids who have attention issues, they do well to draw or scribble or whatever they're doing, doodling while they're learning. And a lot of times people will tell them to stop doodling. Well, what they don't realize is when their brain, when they stop doodling, their brains turn off. So I've actually talked to a lot of parent coach parents to tell their kids, instead of, you know, just stopping doodling, tell your teacher, I doodle to keep my brain working. I doodle so I can hear you. When I doodle, I can hear what you're saying mm -hmm. and I can concentrate on, on what's going on in the classroom much better if my hands are moving. Yeah. And, and they'll, you know, if we can teach kids also to be self-advocates in a kind way. So a lot of times we've been teaching kids to be self-advocates and they get rude. We <laughs> yeah. need to teach that, you know, and then, and then everybody's, you know, at odds and clashing heads. And whereas if we can teach kids to politely understand their own, the way their brains work, and then understand how to communicate that to the other adults in their lives, wow, what a difference that makes because it builds their confidence and they feel powerful. It helps the other people that are working with them because they start to understand what's going on with the child and that the child is working on it, that they're not just spacing. And I wanted to say something about spacing. You know, mm. our brains need to space. We need to have downtime for short, whatever we've put into our short-term memory that day to transfer into long-term memory into the hippocampus so the hip, so that the hippocampus can disseminate those things to other brain parts so that so that we can apply what we've learned right otherwise we just forget it yeah. and the thing is is sometimes kids who have attention issues and they space it's because their brains need that immediate you know going someplace else to process and it's and so you say, you know, what are you thinking about? And they're like, well, I don't know, because they don't know what's happening in their brains is subconscious because there is so much more going on in our brain subconsciously all the time yeah. than consciously because our yeah. brains are, are amazing. All the things they do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love you always have offer such practical suggestions and, and tips, which I, I think is so important. You know, I recently heard a friend of mine, she said that her child's teacher, he was, you know, so active in class and not finishing his work and distractive, whatever. She held him back from recess so he could work. And she was frustrated because she said, well, that's, that's the reason that he was not focused and he was distracted is he needed to move. And so she withheld from him the one thing that could actually help him focus. And so I love that you bring up the importance of, of movement and, and accepting things like doodling and things like spacing out because we do need, I have a, a very, I, I call it an active brain. And sometimes I just need to space out, you know? Um, and that's, and I'm learning to work with that and learning to teach my kids about that. It's so important. Like you said, to advocate those things. I just, everything you said, I want to echo and, and, and say again, because it's just so helpful. So I want Can to I talk give you oh, one more yeah. thing to yes, do on those do. same lines. So another thing that's really helpful that a lot of times they'll do in special education classrooms and not in regular ed classrooms very often um, that I think is underused is if we can um, 
one of my clients, I had her tie, take a, an exercise band and tie it, tie it into a knot so that it was a, um, like a circle. And her son, who is now in middle school, takes it from room to room and he puts it on the front, front two legs of his chair. And what he does is he puts his feet in that, in that, um, in the loop in the chair that can you picture this? Yeah. So, uh -huh. so he puts his feet in the rubber loop and just having that to be able to move his knees or, mm. or actually his shins and ankles, move them against the tension there that yeah. actually helps him focus a lot. And it helps him actually get his work done without, you know, getting up and running around and talking and disturbing other students or whatever, because their brains need to be physically active as well as mentally active mm -hmm. to function. And so being able to just give them that, you know, that little bit of tension so that they can feel it against them. And, and to be honest, in the very beginning, when it's novel and new, it's a little distracting. So you may want to start that at home first when mm -hmm. they're doing homework, because it helps them focus and finish their homework. And like anything new, you know, that you got to wait for the novelty to wear off a little bit, right? But if they can do that in their classroom, wow, what a difference it makes. Because, you know, and, and I understand as a teacher, I have been, you know, I early on was one of those that would keep them in at recess time, feeling like the other kids around them were distracting them, but they needed to move, absolutely mm. needed to move. So, you know, of course that backfired, didn't make it work and things got worse. <laughs> But I found if you have kids have a, a, you know, an exercise band, so they have that little bit of tension and something to push against, that makes a big difference for them. And it's just such a subtle thing, you yeah. know, kind of like doodling. And some may need to doodle and have that, you know, it depends on where they're, you know, and, and you just have to try different things too, because all kids are different, right? Now, what yeah. works for one kid isn't going to work necessarily for another kid. But also if you're an adult who's hyper, like I have a stand-up thing on my desk because I can't sit all day, right? Yeah. So I stand at my desk. I'll do little exercises and movement at my desk. Some kids are like that too, that they, you know, need to stand up occasionally. So yeah. 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 I like to walk and work <laughs> to where I'm, if I'm planning something, if I'm, you know, preparing for a podcast, I'll, I'll go outside and walk and I have the notes on my phone open and I'm just dictating into that, or I'm typing out ideas here and there. And it helps me. The movement just helps me kind of, it centers me in a strange way, but I, I think that that's practical. Another thing I think is interesting. My daughter, she's 17, she's taking college classes and she relies on a ring that she wears. It's like a a fidget ring. I don't know if you've seen these where it's like, it just spins around so uh -huh. she can spin her ring around instead of just twisting a static ring that stays in place. It's, I don't even know how it works, but it's, it's called a fidget ring and she just spins it around and like gets really annoyed when she doesn't have it on her because it really helps her. And so I think it's nice to, to know that these tools, these are, they're, just a wide variety of these things. I'd love for you to talk about your um, screen time giveaway that, that you're promoting, because I know that that's another helpful tool for parents too. Oh my gosh. I, so usually this, this course sells for um, $19 and I'm offering it free with it's the code is smart screen time, 2021. 
Um, and it's called Healthy Screen Time. It's just one video. Actually, there's a bonus video that comes from the Brain Stages Parent Empowerment Journey, um, which is a digital course with weekly group coaching. Um, because I find that when parents learn a lot of the tools and techniques I've learned over the years without me talking to them, then they don't take it personally. <laughs> because a lot of times I'll just be telling them, you know, if you do this, this, and this, then you'll get a much better result with your kids and your communication, for example. And then they'll say, well, I'm trying to, and, and it's like, I, I am not pointing any fingers or <laughs> so, you know, I, I am super not judgy at all because, you know, I learned everything I learned the hard way by making mistakes. I mean, my daughter telling me I needed to coach other parents. I was like, really? Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> because, you know, I, I didn't know how our relationship was going to turn out. I made so many mistakes figuring out, you know, learning what I learned. Um, so, so it's a digital group. It's a digital course where they do a certain amount of videos. And then once a week, we actually have group coaching where we troubleshoot because all kids are different and I have um, guest speakers come in. So this screen time mini course is just one of the lessons in that course. And basically it talks about how screen time can actually be good for kids. And we're not, you know, I think I mentioned this to you before, we're not giving up our light bulbs and going back to candles, <laughs> right? Our screens are here to say, I mean, look at us. We are talking on a Zoom. You're recording for a podcast. All of our electronics, they are here to stay. We are dependent on them. We're not giving them up anytime soon. So let's learn about healthy screen time. What's good for kids? Because screen time can be great for kids. We just need to know what the boundaries are and how to use screen time to kids' advantage instead of, you know, adversely affecting their brain development, which is on the other side of that. So I talk about what we know currently in the science so far. There's a longitudinal study going on right now. So just what we know currently so far, what's good for kids and, and how to set it up, how to set up healthy screen time, how to talk to your kids about healthy screen time. So um, I will give you the link for that and then, and the code so that other people can get the screen time. I think we offered that one before, but it's so important to me that yeah. people have the screen time. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. Screen time. Yeah. 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 I'll put it in the show notes as, as well as your website. Cause I don't want you to give away too many of your tools. <laughs> I want people to go to your website and which is, I'll say it again, the brainstages.com. And you've already offered us so many great tips and just the whole idea of slowing down to speed up just taking some intentional moments throughout the day through habit changing, whatever it is that's going to optimize kids brain function. I just, it's, it's so important. So I appreciate and they are yes. just moments, Erin. Mm -hmm. They're just moments. We have to slow down to speed up. And a lot of times we say we don't have enough time and they're just moments. Yeah. It's such a short amount of time in I mean, you end up saving so much time yeah. by doing some of these things. Oh, I don't have time to make sure my kids get a drink of water and, you know, eat protein in the morning instead of processed carbs. And, you know, it, I even have, um, you know, free blog posts and stuff of breakfast that kids can make themselves. Mm, that I love that. Brain power because I know parents are busy yep. and it's our job to 
you know, work ourselves out of a job when our kids are adults. I mean, we, we want them to be able to function on their own, right? Yeah. So developing some of these very safe ways for them to develop autonomy and because that's critical for ADHD brains too, yes. is we really have to regulate how much sugar and processed carbs they have because processed carbs metabolizes sugar. So, and, and so it's great quick energy, but it doesn't last long and it, you know, kind of makes them go haywire. Yeah. Whereas if they have more, you know, protein and healthy carbs are great because they come with fiber, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you have an orange yeah. or an apple or whatever, it regulates, it time releases the sugar into their bloodstream. So that kind of sugar is great for them. Yeah. But, you know, fruit juice where they take all the fiber out. So it's right. just a sugar bomb, <laughs> you know, or a bagel, a bagel is a sugar bomb. Yeah. Just <sighs> <laughs> mm -hmm, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I, I've got to say this. I know we need to get off the call, but you'll love this. My seven-year-old, my four-year-old, I'm explaining to them about how to listen to your body to know when you're done to stop eating when you're full, you know, and I talked about dopamine and how it's really hard to listen to your body when your brain is, you know, telling you to keep eating more due to the dopamine response, you know, all of this. Right. And so my four-year-old, he tells me, he's like, you know, what's that? What's that word called again? I said, dopamine. He said, yeah. He said, I think Roman talking about his older brother. I think Roman has, has too much of that because he doesn't know how to stop eating sugar. And I know how to stop ah. <laughs> out of the mouths of babes. Right. Okay. I know how to stop. He does not. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was That's funny. Really so it's like, cute. okay, so kind of understanding the concept a little bit, you know, but, um, just, yeah, for kids to understand that what they eat impacts their brains and it impacts their likelihood of consuming more. And, ah, uh, we could go on. So thank you again. That would actually be a fun show to do it would. <laughs> on, on kids diet and how it affects their brain and their learning. And, and, gosh. you know, cause there are a lot of life hacks on that too. You know, all these mm -hmm. little practical tools I've been giving you to help AD kids who have attention issues. Um, you know, it's the same kind of thing with diet. There are so many things we can do to help kids with their brain mm -hmm. development and attention and learning and all that stuff, because food is medicine. Absolutely. We, we think, you know, we're just going to feed them pizza all the time or, you know, whatever, because it's easy and, oh, I get it. So, <laughs> because, you know, especially if you're working and raising kids and all that. So that would be really fun to talk about is, is great, efficient, really fun ways. And also to help your children develop autonomy where they're eating healthier and their brains are working better. I mean, that, that could be a whole show. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. That's always important for parents to hear always important for us adults to hear for ourselves. So thank you again so, so much for being on the show, everybody. It's the brainstages.com Trish Wilkinson. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to be on. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze, and I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.